Well, good morning to all of you once again. Thank you uh, for being here. I invite you to turn, please, to Second uh, Timothy chapter three. Turn, please, to Second Timothy chapter three. Last Sunday's message was a challenge uh, for each of us to take God's word and to plant it into our lives, to, to use the metaphor, uh, into the soil of our hearts uh, so that we will grow up spiritually in Christ and in our walk with God, uh, into maturity, into Jesus Christ and Christ-likeness. Uh, you can see First Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, uh, what we considered last week uh, together. As a, as a follow-up to that, and I did wrestle with which order I would uh, bring these two messages this, these two weeks. Uh, should have started with this one or uh, vice versa, the way it actually uh, uh, unfolded. The question might be asked in light of what we shared last week, uh, why the Bible? In fact, someone may say, are there not other spiritual sources and books that can help me to grow? Uh, spiritually? In fact, what sets the Bible apart? Well, in answering these, uh, I would ask you to consider with me uh, this morning what the Bible says about itself, uh, along with several external uh, facts, which will clearly show how the Bible uh, is set apart and uniquely, uh, exclusively, uh, the Word of God. So would you join with me in a word of prayer? Our Father, we continue in our worship as we open your word together. This morning, Lord, we are considering the fact that the Bible is your word. It is trustworthy. It is true. The psalmist declares that you have set your word above your name. And so we would pray, Father, that as we consider it together, as we study it together, that we would have listening ears, a receptive heart and mind, a recognition that, that you are speaking through your word. I would ask, Father, for myself as the one bringing this message that you would set a guard over my mouth, that I would only say the things, Lord, that will certainly be in keeping with your word and will benefit and bless and challenge your people and myself. And Lord, may we uh, conclude this shared time together in your word, recognizing the wonder and the awe of you, O God, and the fact that you have given us the Bible, that we might know you and know your will for us. And Father, we'll give you thanks and praise for it's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 10, the Apostle Paul is writing to his uh, co-worker, some would say his understudy, uh, but he was certainly a co-worker in ministry. He was younger than uh, the Apostle Paul. 
and had ministered with him in, in a lot of different uh, um, venues. And now he is writing this second letter to him, encouraging him. And he reminds him, uh, beginning at verse 10, of, of his lifestyle, his walk with God, in contrast to the false teachers that were uh, in existence in his day and had gone back even to the time of Moses and even to the time of the beginning. And he, he says here, verse 10, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While, by way of contrast, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As I mentioned in verses uh, 10 through 13, Paul uh, and his life and his suffering and how he lived as a Christian is being uh, put in contrast, beginning at verse 13, to the evil men, the imposters, and the deceivers that were in uh, Timothy's day and that he was to watch out for. In verse uh, 14 and 15, though, he challenges Timothy to continue in the teaching of the Scriptures. See, when we're faced with false teaching, things that we are uncertain about, the answer is not to try and reason through it on our own and try to figure it out. It's to Go back to the source of truth, uh, the Word of God. And he challenges him and, and exhorts him as he would to us that we continue in the teaching of the Scriptures. The Bible as a whole, we say, is special revelation from God. Now, the word revelation, when you hear that word, think in terms of communication. Because when God brings a revelation, when God reveals something, He is communicating something uh, to us. God is communicating Himself, His plans, His will, and ultimately the things that concern His Son Jesus Christ and salvation through His Word. It is a revelation to us. We would not by human reasoning or understanding or even looking at the world around us come to understand what the Bible says to us concerning God, His will, His ways, and His desire for us to know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
He's put it, put it down in a book. And the Bible is that book. It is God communicating Himself to us. It is His special revelation to us. Now, let me just say that uh, we use different terms uh, for the Bible, all of which are synonyms and are good. The Bible is the Word of God. It's God's Word. It's the Scriptures. And as Paul says in verse 15, it is the Holy Scriptures which sets them apart. And notice that Paul said concerning the, the Scriptures that they make you wise for salvation. The Bible tells me and tells you and tells this fallen world and fallen humanity how a person can be right with God, how a person can be saved, and it is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is through faith in Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. It's not a work of man. It's not a continuing work of man. It is not a work of man at all. It is a work of God from beginning to end. And God calls us to place our faith in Jesus Christ who has provided for us that salvation. In fact, uh, yesterday when I was here to pick some things up, as I was in one of the children's Sunday school classrooms and I noticed that on the wall someone had handwritten Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And I thought to myself, what a great poster uh, to have for those children to see and be reminded of again and again and again and again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the message of the good news, the message of salvation, the message of grace to us from God in Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says here concerning the, the, the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures. Because 2 Timothy 3.16 uh, is, a, is a key verse that tells us about the Word of God. The totality of God's Word. Notice this, he says all Scripture. Some translations say every Scripture. But it, it's, it's inclusive. It would be the Old Testament that was already written and there, and also the New Testament that was in progress that God superintended. All Scripture, notice this, is God-breathed. The better word for that is inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? Uh, the, the two words that are put together to make this word God-breathed is God and the word breath. And it means a breathing out. Um, it is the divine influence, as one person put it, and work of the Holy Spirit on human writers of Scripture to be communicating the very words of God. The church fathers uh, used to say that the Scriptures are Deus Logum in the Latin, which is God speaking. And it's interesting, they put it in the present tense. Not that God has spoken, which He has in the past, but God is presently speaking. And how is He speaking? He's speaking through His God-breathed, inspired Word. And it's amazing what Scripture says, God says. What Scripture says, God says. 
You want to know what God thinks or what God's response would be to something that you and I in our present world or in our personal lives are, are wrestling with to know the truth? God's word answers that. By way of direct command, by way of illustration, by way of principle, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness according to the promises that he's given to us. There's not an issue of life that the word of God doesn't somehow address either directly or by command or by illustration or by principle or or by teaching to somehow have us come to the understanding of what is truth in any given situation. And it's amazing that God used over 40 different writers that were using their own styles, their own personalities in communicating God's word. It was not as though they were receiving the, the message from God as, and taking dictation. That they're, they're hearing an audible voice and just writing down everything they hear. Nor was it a state of ecstasy that came over them and it was sort of automatic writing that they weren't engaged and they were just penning things on a paper and God was using their hand and the ink that they were using to write it. But it was the sovereign working of God through providence so that what these individuals, these men wrote were the very words of God and they communicate to us God's very word. I like the way J.I. Packer in his book Fundamentalism and the Word of God put it. He says, We are to think of the Spirit's inspiring activity And for that matter, all of his regular operations in and upon human personality as to use the old but valuable technical term, concursive. Concursive. That is, as exercised in and through and by means of the writer's own activity in such a way that their thinking and writing was both free and spontaneous on their part and divinely elicited and controlled. And what they wrote was not only their own work, but also God's work. In other words, if I could put it in in, in more simple terms, they wrote and they were writing God's word. And God supernaturally, sovereignly, and providentially made sure that what they were writing were communicating His very words to to us. So all Scripture is God-breathed. What is the extent of that, though? Some people say, well, yeah, I can agree that the Bible is inspired, but so are a lot of other writings that are out there. It may contain the Word of God, or it might have God's message in it, but it's not actually every word His. That is an error. That is incorrect. Because what Paul is saying to Timothy when he says that all Scripture is God-breathed and inspired, it means that it is verbally inspired. means that 
the very words that they used, every jot, every tittle, every stroke of the pen, whether it was Hebrew or in Greek, the word that they selected was the very word of God that he wanted communicated. It's verbally inspired, but it's also, we say, it's plenary inspired. The word plenary means full, which means that inspiration it extends to the very words that were used and also every part of Scripture, that it's entirely God's Word. It's not like it has parts that are God's Word or parts that were direct quotes, if you would, from God. But every single word is inspired. It is God-breathed. Thus, we understand that the Bible is infallible. Which means that it never is misinforming. It's never misleading us. The takeaway of that is that it's wholly trustworthy and it's reliable. You want to know what God is saying to you, to me? Open his book. Read it. Come to understand it. Believe it. God speaks through his word. It is infallible. And it is inerrant. It's not only infallible, which means it will never mislead us. It is inerrant, which means it is without errors. It is wholly true. It's trustworthy and it's true. Jesus said, thy word is Truth, John 17, 17. Now, there's another word that I would add to this list, and it's on the part of the individual. It's another I word. It's illumination. Illumination. And illumination is the ministry of the Holy Spirit who helps the believer understand the truth of Scripture. You and I would not understand what this book is saying and what God is saying and see its application, its relevance, its, its, uh, its, even its power in our lives apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said this concerning uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in connection with truth, with God's Word. John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. He's going to teach you all things. You say, I read the Bible and I don't understand everything. Maybe you say you don't understand it at all. Ask God the Holy Spirit to give you understanding and insight and to teach you. And if your heart is genuine, if your heart is tender towards God, and if it is sincere towards God, seeking Him, He will make Himself known and speak to you through His Word. He will teach you. Jesus also said in chapter 16 of John's Gospel, verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. 
The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He makes the things of God real to you and to me in our lives, in our minds, and in our hearts. That's illumination. The natural man, says Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, can't understand the things of the Spirit. That's why when you maybe are conversing with someone who's not a believer and you're trying to convince them of a certain point of truth from Scripture, they can't understand it in their natural minds. The Spirit of God has to come and take that Word and make it real to their lives. And the light goes on and they understand. And probably every one of you who know Christ here this morning had that experience when all of a sudden the reality of who Jesus is and your need for Him as Savior and Lord came home and you came to realize that you were a sinner before God and you need Christ as Savior. Because God took His Holy Word and planted it as a seed in your heart and He germinated it to life through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's, not, that's just the beginning point of your walk with God. He then gives us His book to tell us how we are to live and please Him in this present world. And it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that does that. And so the Word of God then is practical. The Word of God is to be heard, it's to be understood, it's to be believed and applied. Notice that Paul said to Timothy in 3.15 that it makes you wise for salvation. Uh, it, it tells you how you can be right with God. And if you read the Scriptures carefully and you understand this, you will realize that it's not by works. It's not by attempting to keep the law. It's not by even being a member of a church or even using your spiritual gifts or even being faithful in other ways. It is solely by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and faith in Him that we are saved. The book of Galatians tells us that it is Christ plus faith plus nothing equals salvation. It is a gift of God. And just like any gift, a gift has to be received. And how is He received? By faith. By faith. But it's practical. Notice that Paul goes on to say here, not only does it bring a person to salvation as it did in Timothy's life, and did you notice here he says you've known from your infancy the Holy Scriptures? See, it's important for us as parents, grandparents, maybe great-grandparents, as we have opportunity to speak the truth of God's Word into the life of children, that we do that at every opportunity God gives us. Because the Word of God will lead them to a saving knowledge of Christ. And notice this, Paul says here, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired, and is useful, it's profitable, it's good for, it's practical. And notice this, he mentions four things. This is the, in the total extent of it, but he mentions this four, these four for teaching, for doctrine. The Bible tells us what is right and what is true. Secondly, he says it's for reproof or for rebuking. The Bible shows us what is not right. Not only shows us what is right and true, but what is not right. But he also says that the Bible is for correction, for correcting, to show us how to get right. When we get off the, the narrow path of following Christ and we sort of get off and start to stray, the Bible tells us how to get back on that path and begin to follow Jesus once again. It corrects us where we were wrong. 
That's why it's important that you and I always go back to the Word of God. What saith the Scripture? Not a matter of opinion. Not even a matter of some theology. It's a matter of what does God say? It corrects us. But also notice this. It's for training, for instruction. The Bible tells us how to stay right and what to do that is right. It's, it's, it's instructive for you and for me. So Paul says the word of God is practical in our lives. And notice this, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything that we need to do what God has called us to in Jesus Christ is found in his word. We want to know what God wants us to do? It's in his word. We want to know God's will? It's in his word. Someone has, uh, has suggested, and again, this is just a person's observation, that 95% of God's will is already in his word, spoken to us, available to us. We get hung up on the 5%. What do I do in this given situation? Well, even go back to the word of God because he will direct you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He's going to direct your paths in that 5% that is unknown. But let me just share this with you as we draw this to a close this morning. Not only does the Bible itself bear witness to the truth that it is the word of God. In fact, amazingly, you have examples throughout Scripture where prophets were raised up by God, true prophets of God, where the Lord spoke to him and they said, Thus saith the Lord. Or the Lord says. And did you know that that phrase is over 3,000 times in the Old Testament? Where they were directly communicating the very words of God to people and giving them the message. And that extends to the entirety of Scripture. They were inspired of God. They were led by him in that way. But what are some external uh, proofs, if you would, that sets the Bible apart, that makes it unique, that shows that it in fact is unique from every other book uh, or writing that is out there? Well, there's several here, and I'm just going to touch on these briefly. But number one is archaeology. Archaeology. The, the, the spade of the archaeologist has found that what the Bible has recorded in truth is in fact true. There have been times when archaeologists and, and skeptics of the Bible have said, this city, this people group doesn't exist that the Bible claims existed in this given time frame or period. And lo and behold, they start to dig and then they find the name of a city that the Bible refers to and was there all along. For the longest time, there were skeptics concerning even the New Testament and the life of Christ. That even though there, there is a historical Jesus and, and there is some documentation that he walked this earth, they said there's no proof of, of all the other people that, that supposedly were in the time of Jesus. And lo and behold, in the early 1980s, they found the bones of Caiaphas, the high priest who condemned Jesus to death. And they said, finally, we now have an actual, verifiable tomb and bones that verify that this man Caiaphas actually existed as the Bible said it did. Archaeology brings uh, an external proof to the uniqueness of Scripture. 
Also, it's preservation. It's preservation. Did you know that there's always been an attempt to try and get rid of the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures? All the way back in the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was given a word from God to give to the people. Uh, His scribe, uh, Baruch, wrote down on the scroll what Isaiah told him, or excuse me, Jeremiah told him to write. He then went to the temple and was reading to the people the word of the Lord that was given through the prophet. And then Micah, who was one of the leaders of the, of the people there, heard these words being spoken on the scroll. And uh, he went and, and got the secretary. This is in Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse 12. Uh, and, and the officials were gathered there from the king's court. Uh, and uh, Micah then told them everything that he heard Baruch speaking in the temple to the people concerning the Word of God. And so they then asked him to bring the scroll from which you've read and come. And so they read it to all these officials firsthand. And then they took it to the king. And it says here in these verses that the king... took this scroll in verse 23. After Jedidiah, another man, had read three or four columns of it, and the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw it into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. He took the actual Word of God written on a scroll and cut it into pieces and threw it in the fire. So what did God have Jeremiah do? Write it out again. Write it out again. And there have been attempts throughout Scripture to try and remove uh, the Word of God from public life. In fact, Voltaire, who was a French uh, skeptic, once said, that the Bible in a hundred years from his time would be extinct. Amazingly, the Geneva Bible Society, years after Voltaire's death, actually bought his house and it became a place where Bibles were printed and distributed from all over that place. This This was the same Voltaire who in hearing Sir Isaac Newton, a scientist, Sir Isaac Newton said, if the Bible is true, the time is coming when men shall travel 50 miles an hour. In response, Voltaire, again, who was a skeptic, commented, poor Isaac, he was in his dotage when he made that prophecy. It only shows what Bible study will do to an otherwise scientific mind. 50 miles an hour. That's driving slow on the highways these days. It's preservation. 
But another thing that I think is even more significant, and it comes out of the Scriptures itself, and it is an indicator that the Bible is unique, is fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. And I don't mean some vague notion of something that something big is going to happen. Thus saith the Lord. And then there's a great tornado or something or something big that it's vague and you're, you're, you're not sure of, of whether that was really from the Lord or not. Let me give you an example of that. If you go to 2 Kings for a moment. 2 Kings. Second Kings chapter 4. And this is uh, in the time of Elisha, the prophet, whom God raised up in place of Elijah. In Second Kings chapter 4, um, there was a, in the context, there was a woman and her husband who cared for Elisha when he came through town and made a little room for him, so he stayed at their house uh, periodically when he was coming through town. Uh, and uh, Elisha uh, asked her what she might uh, desire. Verse 14, What can be done for you? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, Well, she has no son and her husband is old. Gehazi was Elisha's uh, uh, servant. So then Elisha called her, verse 15, uh, and she stood in the doorway of her house. And Elisha says, about this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. And uh, she said, no, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. That's pretty specific, wouldn't you say? You're going to have a child, a son, next time at this time of the year. It says, but, verse 17, but the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. One more example out from Elisha. Look at verse 42 of that same chapter, chapter 4. Here was Elisha, and there were I believe a hundred prophets that were around him. And it says, A man came from Beth Shealashal, bringing the man of God twenty loaves of barley uh, baked bread from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. And one of the servants responded, How can I set this before a hundred men? But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Prophet Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, 700 years before it happened, said, Behold, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come forth one that will rule my people Israel. 
And remember that some 700 years later, wise men came from the east and said, where was he who was born king of the Jews? And where did they go? Not to what some rabbi said, not to what somebody else said. They went back to the word of God and they quoted that exact verse and said, in Bethlehem. And where was Jesus born, class? Bethlehem. Who said it? The Word did. God did. He doesn't get it wrong. And let me just give you this as a word of exhortation and warning. There are a lot of people claiming to be prophets these days speaking for God. They say lots of things, even very specific things, that do not come to pass. That is not a true prophet of God. God fulfills every one of his words exactly. And Jesus said, not one jot, not one tittle, not one dot, not one cross of the T is going to in any way pass away until all is fulfilled. Fulfilled prophecy. What about the influence of Scripture? The influence of Scripture. Well, I see an example in the book of Jonah. Remember Jonah? man who tried to run away from God because he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because he didn't like them. And lo and behold, he gives out the message. And the message is the message of judgment of all things. It wasn't God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And lo and behold, they hear the message and they repent in sackcloth and ashes and the whole nation turns to God. Hearing the word of the Lord. The Word of God can do that. And think about the influence the Bible has had in your life in transforming you and changing you and making you a different person because you know Christ. That same influence is seen in nations of the world where the Gospel has taken hold. Because it is the Word of God and it's living and active. And then lastly, I I alluded to this, transform lives. Look at Saul of Tarshish, Acts 9. A man who was determined to stamp out Christians, Christianity, anything related to the person of Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, the Lord appeared to him and gave him the message of the gospel and Saul of Tarshish became Paul the Apostle. Who was then used by God to pen the very words we're reading this morning today. What about in history, Charles uh, and John Wesley, who I just heard this week, within days of each other, came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And John Wesley came to the United States and preached on horseback some 6,000, I think, sermons, or 15,000 sermons he preached in his lifetime, preaching from a horseback. And his brother Charles wasn't far behind him writing hymns and wrote over 3,000 hymns concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, glorifying and honoring Him. The influence of the Word of God. We saw in the video clip this morning of a man who knew the Lord and was burdened for the lost, the immigrants that were coming into the country, and lo and behold, in all the nations that were mentioned here this morning, the Gospel has taken hold and people's lives have been transformed. Churches have been planted and people are saved and brought into the kingdom of God. The Bible is no ordinary book, but it is the very Word of God to us. 
And Charles Spurgeon said this, every word which God has given us in this book claims our attention because of the infinite majesty of him who spoke it. One last passage, and I draw this to a close this morning. By the way, Sharon gave me permission to preach long today since we didn't have a lot of music. Just thought you should know that. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this. Peter is relating his uh, experience with the transfiguration when he and James and John and the Lord Jesus were on the mount. And verse 16 of 2 Peter 1, he writes this, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven and we were with him on the sacred mountain. He says, we had this unbelievable, almost indescribable, but I'll give you what I can experience in seeing the Lord transfigured before us, before our very eyes, to the degree that Peter said, let's just build some tents and live here. This is so wonderful. But notice what he says almost by way of a contrast and where he lands with this point that he's making. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, made more sure. Made more sure than even the experience of transfiguration has been put within the word of God. The words of the prophets so that we can be certain that this is God speaking to us in His Word. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And how do we know He's talking about the totality of Scripture? Keep, Keep reading. Verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke as they were carried along, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that word for moved or borne along is the, is the word and the word picture and imagery of the wind that catches a sail and moves the ship along. And that's all we need to know. We say, how did God do it? He doesn't tell us how, other than it's through the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, to which we do well to take heed to Scripture. Not Scripture plus, fill in the blank, But what does God say? Remember, way back in the garden, the first thing that was questioned was the Word of God. Did God really say? May God help us to take this good Word, His Word, and plant it in our lives that it would produce the fruit of righteousness and holiness for Jesus' sake. Shall we pray?
Father, thank you for this time together in your word. I know, Father, that there can be lots of uh, presentations and arguments and apologetics that are used to convince us and, and the world around us that your word is truth and that it's um, your message to us and it is you speaking. And all of those things, Father, have their place and you use that. But ultimately, Father, it comes uh, to every one of us as a matter of faith. Do we really believe that you are speaking to us and that your word is truth? I would pray, Father, that the things that we have considered together this morning and the portions of your word that we've looked at will solidify within our hearts and make even more real to us the reality of the truth of your word. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to not take it lightly when we read it, when we study it, and certainly, Father, when we communicate it to others and put it into practice within our own lives. May we realize that it is you, the Lord God Almighty, who speaks your truth into our lives so that we might believe, so that we might act, that we might live in a way that will honor and please you and further bear witness to the truth that is in Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to take your word and live it out in our lives by the power of your spirit. And may the glory and the honor and the praise always and ever be yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.